You're listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. Um, Hi, my name is Larissa. If we haven't met, I would love to meet you. Um, I am going to be finishing up the series that Evan started a few weeks ago and walk through um, just the end of the story of Joseph. And I actually was supposed to speak last week, but instead I took a little detour of my own and I decided to get really, really sick. And I thought I had food poisoning, but then one by one, everyone in my family started throwing up. And so um, that's why we were not here last week. But I told Evan I would preach for him for his birthday. So this is my birthday present to Evan. So Evan's birthday was last week. He actually was sick on his birthday. He was throwing up his whole birthday. So it was real fun birthday for him. So make sure you tell Evan happy birthday later tonight. He will love that a lot. But I think even though that was not a very cute detour that I went on, I think that God was maybe teaching me something on it. So I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But Evan has been walking through the story of Joseph linearly. And what I want to do tonight is I want to compare the beginning of the story of Joseph with the end and look at how these detours that Joseph went on changed his life and what we can learn from that. So if you've missed anything or tonight is your first night here at Young Adults, we do have a podcast and I would encourage you to go back and listen to the um, messages that you might have missed. So um, I grew up in the church, so I have heard the story of Joseph in the Coat of Many Colors a lot of times. And I have never done an in-depth study on it. So for the past few weeks, as I've been preparing this message, I have been reading scripture and reading commentary, and I have learned so much about the story of Joseph. And so I think that God wants to teach us tonight three things about detours, three things that we can learn from detours, specifically from the story of Joseph. And so I know that... um, We're going to be talking about suffering today, and I know that there are some of you in the room who are going through something awful. Maybe you have a loss of a friend or a family member, Um, you're suffering, you're in pain, and I just want to say that the word detour is a really neat word that doesn't encompass what you're feeling, and I acknowledge that and I understand, but this is what Evan titled the series, so that's what we're going to go with, and so tonight I'm probably going to call suffering detour, but I just want to acknowledge that your pain is bigger than just a tiny word, and that um, tonight I'm not hoping that you're going to leave here with everything fixed, and you're going to feel better, and you're going to be like, oh, everything's fine, my pain doesn't hurt anymore, but I'm hoping that maybe tonight you'll leave here with a different perspective on how to see the season you're in, and maybe God wants to teach you something in this season. And another thing that I want to mention before we jump in tonight is that Joseph had a lot of suffering. But if we look through the Bible, we see that every single person in the Bible endured a lot of suffering. And I just want to say that I do not think that God caused Joseph's suffering. I think it's really important to say that. I think that there's just a lot of unfortunate things that happen because we are messy and we are broken and the people around you are messy and broken. And I think that because of that, bad things happen, unfortunate circumstances happen, but God can work in our pain and he can work for his glory if we will let him. 
So detours are going to happen to us. They might be good. They're probably going to be pretty bad. And I think that there are three ways that they come about in our lives. First, I think that we tend to create detours in our own lives. I think that God calls us on a path and we say, Mm, not today, I'm not going to do that. And we turn around and we go a different way. So I think that we can create detours in our lives. I think other people create detours in our lives. We see that in the story of Joseph because his brothers sold him into slavery. And that was an action that they took that Joseph had no control over. So other people's actions might take you on a little bit of a detour. And I know I said that God doesn't create suffering in our lives, but I do think that sometimes God himself might take us on a little bit of a detour. And I think that God might use a detour in our lives to protect us and to refine us. So let's jump back to meeting Joseph in Genesis 37. When we meet Joseph, he's a 17-year-old boy. He likes to tattle on his brothers. He's kind of a nuisance. He's arrogant. He's prideful. He's his father's favorite. He is going to receive the birthright, which is reserved for the oldest, and he isn't the oldest. So he's a nuisance. He's a menace. His brothers do not like him. And this is the person who God chooses to give a dream to and who God uses, or God gives Joseph um, a promise in the form of a dream. And this dream is that his brothers would bow down before him. And so if you had this dream and you are, were already used to being spoiled and already used to being the favorite, you might feel a little bit entitled to the perceived promise of this dream. But I think that the dream fails to mention the hardships that Joseph is going to go on. It fails to mention all of the trauma and the suffering and the pain. And it also fails to mention why his brothers are going to bow down before him. So all Joseph sees is that someday he's going to be in a position of authority and his brothers are bowing down before him. And then I think Joseph might have been a little bit surprised when further down the road he started enduring some hardships. And that's how I live my life. I find it really interesting that God gives me a promise and I then have hardships fall into my life and I'm like surprised by it. The Bible says we will face trials of many kinds. So we can expect to see hardships and we can expect to endure pain. And so instead of being surprised when these things happen, we can be ready for them and be prepared for what they're going to teach us. And we can also learn from the past trials that we have and take that into the new situations that we're going to face. I think I tend to be surprised and then I seem to forget everything that God has ever taught me whenever I have a new hardship. And I also would really like to skip the hardships that I go through. I want to get ahead to the finished work and take the shortcut so that I don't have to feel the pain, I don't have to be sad, I don't have to go through it anymore. But I think that Joseph is a really good example of why we get to endure the painful seasons and we get to see God refine us. So I know that I've gone over the dreams just a little bit, but I actually want to read them from scripture. So Genesis 37, 6 through 7, this is Joseph telling his brothers his dream. He says, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. 
So dreams were commonly referred to as divine communication. God was continually throughout the Old Testament. He was continually speaking to people in the form of dreams. So I don't want to argue anything about the dreams because I have a little bit of a spoiler for you. The dreams do come true. But what I want to do is I want to compare how Joseph handled telling those dreams to his brothers with how he acted when Pharaoh asked him to interpret his dream 13 years later. So just a little bit of a recap. This is what happens in the 13 years between Joseph telling his dreams to his brothers and um, interpreting the dream for Pharaoh. Joseph is hated by his brothers, obviously. He's telling them that they're going to bow down to him, so they don't like him. They sell him into slavery. Then he's sold into slavery in Egypt. He becomes head of Potiphar's household, and then Potiphar's wife says, Joseph is very hot. I want to sleep with him. And Joseph says, no, thank you. And he says it multiple times. And so finally she um, accuses him of sexual assault, and he's Um, wrongfully convicted and thrown in prison and forgotten about for over two years. So that's where we pick up in Genesis 41, because Pharaoh has a dream. It's a really disturbing dream to Pharaoh. The dream, if you remember a few weeks ago from Evan, um, the dream was that seven fat cows would be devoured by seven skinny cows. So Pharaoh is like, what does this dream mean? I really need to figure it out. So in Genesis 41, we read that Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So the first thing we see is a change in Joseph in the way that he handles messages from God. Because if you remember at 17, he was just walking around telling everyone his dream. And what's really interesting is that he wasn't even interpreting his dream at 17. He was just telling his dream. But now, 13 years later, he's actually giving away the credit. He's saying, no, I am not able to interpret the dream. God will, and I will just be the messenger. So this is a huge change from 17-year-old Joseph. He's aware. He's leaning into the gifting that God has given him. And so that's the first thing that I think that we can learn from detours. I think that detours help to mature us. I think that sometimes we need a little bit of extra time to walk through the painful season and let some things go. Because we tend to pick up a lot of baggage when we endure trauma. We might learn a new way to cope, or we might start handling fear differently. We might find ourselves to be really angry and bitter. And God might walk with us and say, hey, I want you to let go of some of these things. You're holding on to things that I did not call you to pick up, and I want you to lay them down. These are not meant for you. And so I think that Joseph could have walked through those painful seasons and let him harden him. And I think that would be a very logical reaction, and I think we all would really understand if Joseph was still really bitter and angry and mad at his brothers and mad at his circumstances. But as I was studying this, I found it really interesting that throughout Joseph's whole story, we don't actually see Joseph's reaction to these circumstances that he faces. But I'm going to make a couple assumptions here. I think it's probably safe to assume that Joseph was really frustrated and really angry. And that is like bare minimum. I think it was probably way worse than that. I think if I was sold into slavery, I would want to murder someone. So he's sold into slavery and wrongfully imprisoned. Of course he's angry and of course he's bitter. And I don't think that he took it lightly. I think he really grieved what was lost for him. I think he had to go through a lot of hard work to not be bitter about his circumstances. 
And this is my take on why we don't see his reactions. I don't think that his reactions are revealed to us because I don't think that God wants to point out to us what we already know. We already know how to be bitter and angry and resentful. That's ingrained in our very being. And I think it's fair to be upset when trials happen. And I think the sorrow we fear, the genuine, re- genuine reaction to our pain, I think that is a fair reaction. But it's the continued reaction that needs to be examined. Because bitterness starts off really small, right? We've all been bitter before. It might be something small that triggered it, but I tend to think about that thing over and over and replay it over and over again in my head. And pretty soon, it's bigger and bigger until it's uncontrollable. I have a four-year-old daughter named Ever, and she's a little bit spicy. And she knows a lot about being bitter and angry. And believe me when I tell you, I did not teach her those things, at least intentionally. But at seven o'clock in the morning when she wants a bowl of ice cream and I tell her no, her reaction is an absolute meltdown. And I didn't have to teach her that that's not fair. And I didn't have to teach her to be angry about that. I'm sure she watches me a little bit and has picked up on some of my reactions, but those things are just ingrained in us. So I think that what we see in not seeing in Joseph's story is that we get to see Joseph step outside of our expectations. We get to see him mature and we get to see him forgive and we get to see him help others. And what's interesting about Joseph interpreting Pharaoh's dream is that Joseph honestly could have just refused to interpret the dream. He didn't have to do it. I don't think that's very likely because Joseph really did want to get out of prison. But Joseph could have said, no, I'm not going to do that. Every single person I've ever gotten close to has hurt me. I have no interest in interpreting your dream. No, thank you. And he could have just pushed Pharaoh away and said no. Because Joseph didn't know what the outcome of interpreting the dream was going to be. And so I think if Joseph had been hardened by the circumstances in his life, then he wouldn't have given credit to God and he wouldn't have correctly interpreted Pharaoh's dream because Joseph could have also just lied. This dream about cows, I don't know, he could have made it up on the spot, hoped Pharaoh would have let him go, got out of prison and ran away. And then we would not have the story about Joseph. So like I said, I went on a little detour of my own last week and hold on, I just lost my notes. So I went on a little detour of my own last week and because we were sick, I had to cancel more than one thing that I had planned. I was sick, my family was sick and it was just canceling things over and over again. And I think that was just a little bit of a reminder from God about how I handle things when things don't go as planned. I do not handle unforeseen circumstances well. So these circumstances were completely beyond my control. Like I could not control that I got sick. I couldn't control that I passed it on to my family. But I was so devastated that my plans got ruined. Specifically, I was really upset that Evan's birthday plans got ruined. And then I had all these other like fun house projects to do because Evan had the week off. And so I was like, let's paint. And Evan was probably like, I love that we're all sick. We don't have to do all of your house projects. But so I was just like devastated. And I, when I handle things that are not in my control, I'm really hard on myself. So I was just like talking very meanly to myself and my family. I was really hard on myself. And I actually caught myself spiraling 
And on Evan's birthday, we had to pick our oldest son, Maddox, up from school. And I caught myself being like really resentful of Maddox. And he was just sick. It was not his fault. It was beyond our control. And I am not saying that you should be happy-go-lucky when things don't go as planned. But I think that this was a perfectly timed lesson from God to say, what is your attitude right now? Where does sadness turn to bitterness in your life? And that's something that I have to work on constantly. Because I think sometimes the painful experiences of our lives make us inwardly focused. Like when I'm going through something, I want to tell all of you and I want you guys to just like be in my bitterness with me. If I'm mad at someone, we're all mad at that person. Okay, good. So that is how I feel. I want to be inwardly focused in my pain. But what we see is an outward focus on Joseph's part. And obviously, every single sentence between Pharaoh and Joseph was not recorded. But what we aren't shown is Pharaoh interpre- or sorry, Joseph interpreting Pharaoh's dream, but also reminding him of his pain. He didn't say, okay, here's your dream. There's going to be seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine, and that's going to be really bad. But let me tell you, I was just stuck in prison for two years, and that was worse. So I know that there's going to be some pain, but I just want to talk about my pain for a second. We don't see that at all. And I think that that's on purpose. And I think that's a reminder to us to act in the opposite way than what the world expects us to act. Because we all know someone whose pain is more than ours. And not like really, but they're just like, I went through Starbucks today. It was the worst day of my life. They gave me the wrong drink. And you're like, you will be fine. It's not that bad. So we get to have an unnatural reaction to circumstances in our lives because we get to act in a different way than what people expect of us. We get to choose if our suffering is going to point back to us and be really loud so everyone knows that we're going through it, or we get to choose if our suffering is going to point back to Jesus and become outwardly focused because Joseph suffered, but Joseph also got to help others. So let me just paraphrase what happens next. Joseph interprets the dream for Pharaoh. Pharaoh loves Joseph's discernment, and he places Joseph second in command in all of Egypt. So Joseph is now in charge of collecting the grain. So for seven years, seven years of abundance, he collects grain, and there's so much grain that they can't even count it. And then just like the dream, um, there were, that was, the seven years of abundance were followed by seven years of famine. And the Bible says that all the world came to Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe everywhere. So I want to pick up in Genesis 42 just to see where Joseph's dreams continue to show up. So Genesis 42 says, So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain. Israel is Jacob, who is Joseph's father. So his sons are Joseph's brothers. Kind of confusing. So they went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all of its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. I don't want to miss that really small word there at the end. That word is then. Joseph sees his brothers, he recognizes them, and then he remembers his dream about them. 
And what that says to me is that Joseph had not been sitting in his prison cell. He hadn't been living the seven years of abundance and the two years of famine. He had not been living that, just replaying that dream over and over in his mind. He wasn't constantly thinking about it, wondering where the heck his brothers were, why they were not there to bow down before him. He had actually forgotten about it. And what's really interesting is in the previous chapter, we actually see that Joseph has a, has a son who he names Manasseh. And that name means God has made me forget all my trouble and forget my father's household. So the next thing that I think we can learn from detours is that detours give us the space to forgive. Because it was essentially the actions of his brothers that started the ball rolling for Joseph's detours. If they had not sold him into slavery, then he would not be here in this moment as the second in command in all of Egypt. And yes, now he is in a position of authority. He is wealthy. He is in charge of selling grain to people. He's married. He has kids. But that doesn't mean that he still could not have been grieving the loss of his family. He no longer had a relationship with his brothers or his father. And so I think it would have been very easy for him and also very justified for him to still be angry with his brothers. And I think he could have also refused to sell them grain. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I run into someone at the store that I do not like and who has wronged me. And I'm like, fine, and I have forgiven them until I see them at the store. And then I am mad all over again. And so thinking about Joseph seeing his brothers for the first time, like would that not make all of these memories flood back to Joseph? Would that not make the anger and the bitterness just come flooding back to Joseph? And I think we would understand that. But the maturity and the forgiveness that Joseph gained from the detours in his life allowed him to be placed in this position of authority because he has control now over who he sells grain to. And I think we see a lot of pride and arrogance in Joseph at 17. And I think maybe God used those detours and used that time to work some of that pride and arrogance out of Joseph's heart. And I just really want to emphasize the point that Joseph had been wrongfully imprisoned by Potiphar and his wife. So there's a chance that Potiphar and his wife could have also come to buy grain from prison. And we're only told a couple of things in Joseph's life in the Bible, but I am sure based on my own life that there were other people who wronged Joseph and he had the choice to sell them grain or to not sell them grain. And had he not matured and forgiven them, then he would have let bitterness win and he wouldn't have sold them grain and then he wouldn't have been saving lives. And so Evan can attest to this fact, but um, I can hold a grudge like it's my job, um, like it's my 24-7, $0 a year salary job, I can hold a grudge. So if I was left to rot in jail and I was forgotten about and abandoned, I would be ticked off. And this would be a prime opportunity for me to plot my revenge, not only against whoever threw me in jail, but also against anyone in my life who had ever wronged me. So I just really like could not get over this scripture as I was reading it. I just kept reading it again and again. And then I was kind of just like daydreaming about people who had wronged me. And this, um, this memory popped into my head of this girl who wronged me twice in the fifth grade. So it was a pretty big deal. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but the wrongs she committed against me were not a big deal. They didn't set off a string of offenses or cause me lasting permanent pain. But I still feel like a little bit bristly when I think of her. And so I personally think Joseph would have been justified in his bitterness. 
But I was thinking about how if I, tomorrow, were placed in this position of authority, how would I act if that girl came to me and asked for help? Would I have forgiveness for her? Like This is in the fifth grade. This wasn't yesterday. This was quite a while ago. Would I have forgiveness for her, and not only for her, but for everyone who has ever wronged me? Or would I be able to help her? Would I refuse to help her because I am holding on to a grudge? Or would I be willing to forgive and let it go? And so I think that is why the fact that Joseph goes from wrongly accused criminal to second in command in Egypt is such a powerful story of forgiveness. Because I don't think that God would have placed Joseph in that position had he not been ready. So I know that I left off at the verse where Joseph speaks harshly to his brothers and he accuses them of being spies. And I'm just going to paraphrase the ending of Joseph meeting his brothers and revealing himself to them. It's kind of long, but I would really encourage you to go read it at the end of Genesis for yourself. So Joseph accuses his brothers of being spies, and he's basically trying to figure out if they have changed at all. Are they still murderers? Do they still want to murder him? Um, His younger brother, Benjamin, isn't with him. So he's like, is he murdered? Like, what's the deal with them? So he ends up putting them in prison for three days, which honestly feels like a little bit of retaliation, feels a little bit justified that he throws them in prison. And then he sends them home to Jacob, their father, with bags full of grain. And Joseph could have just left it at that. He could have said, here's your grain, goodbye, see you never. And his, his dream had been fulfilled. Like he got to see his brothers again, he got to see the prophecy, and that could have been it. But instead, he tests them by keeping one of the brothers in Egypt and sending their money back with them. So they go home, they convince their father to send Benjamin with them. So Benjamin comes back to Egypt. And back in Egypt, Joseph continues to test them. He spoils Benjamin in front of them because he wants to know if they've really changed. And then he um, sets Benjamin up to look like a thief. And then when Benjamin is caught as a thief, he says, I'm going to take him as a slave. And one of the other brothers steps in and says, no, please do not take him as a slave. Our father would die if Benjamin did not get returned to him. Like, take me instead. I want to give my life for his life. And that's the moment when Joseph realizes that his brothers have changed and that they're no longer murderers and that they've just changed who they are. And so I want to pick up again in Genesis 45. This is where Joseph um, reveals himself to his brothers. It says, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept loudly. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there had been famine in the land, and for the next five there will be no more plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. I think this shows so much maturity and forgiveness and so much growth for Joseph to take the blame and the responsibility off of his brothers. Because if you read through the story, it really sounds like the brothers are struggling with immense guilt for what they did because they did something awful. But what we see is God use it for his glory and turn it for his good. 
So I know that we're talking about the awful things that happened to Joseph, but if we think for a moment, I'm sure all of us can think of something that we have done to someone else that's caused them a lot of hurt. And I love that this part of the story shows that even the painful things we've done to others can be redeemed and used by God. So detours help to mature us, and they give us the space to be able to offer forgiveness. But I want to look at one thing that detours are not. And detours are not shortcuts. If Joseph had been rushed into this position, then he would not have been prepared to see his brothers again, and his heart would not have been softened towards them. And I love that we see Joseph say, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Years later, the brothers are still going to be like, oh, does Joseph hate us? We kind of sold him into slavery. I bet he doesn't like us. And Joseph says in Genesis 50, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He could not have saved lives if he was angry and vengeful and bitter. And he could not have gotten over those feelings because inevitably he did feel that way. He couldn't have gotten over that if it had not been for the time that the detours took. Because God could have rescued Joseph from any single one of those detours at any point in his life. And probably God could have also removed Joseph from the jail cell faster than he did. Because remember, he was in jail for over two years and forgotten about. But I'm an introvert, and sometimes if Evan and I get in a little fight or I say something hurtful or my feelings are hurt, I like to put myself in timeout. I like to go into my closet and shut the door. It's dark in there. It's quiet. I like to cry and pray and be alone and take time to process. And so I understand this two-year pause that Joseph was on. I think that God might have said, Joseph, you really need to work on forgiveness and you're going to be stuck here until you figure that out. And so speaking as someone who has had to handle my own fair share of trauma and hardships, I think that I could have learned so many lessons if God would have just taken me out of those situations. But that's not how it works. And I actually know much more because I've had to experience those lessons firsthand. And I'm guilty of wanting the shortcut. I want to rush through the suffering and make it out on the other side, far away from all the suffering, because I don't like pain, I don't like hurt, and I don't want to deal with that. And as I was preparing this message, I really felt like God was putting the difference between shortcut and detour on my heart. Because I think it's a tendency in our culture to want to rush through things and to not, want to, and to not feel pain. We want to hurry the lesson along. And I also think that we tend to get bored in our circumstances. We want the end result quickly. We want the next new thing. We want different entertainment and different stimulation. And we want to get out of this season we're in, even if it's a good season, we want to jump out of it. And so I felt like comparing a shortcut and a detour is a really practical way for us to see the difference between the two. Because we're in Billings, we just, we are very aware of construction season. We've all been going through the detours in Billings and we probably have taken a couple of shortcuts. So I just want to read a couple of things to, um, to compare the difference between a shortcut and a detour. So a shortcut is a path between two points that is faster than the commonly used path. A shortcut is unmarked. If you're using a shortcut, you're trying to save time, so you're probably rushing through the process of getting to the destination, and that could result in putting yourself or others in danger. And lastly, a shortcut omits one or more steps. But a detour, on the other hand, is a deviation from a direct course. A detour is probably going to add time to getting to your destination. 
Usually a detour prevents us from running into an obstruction. An official detour is clearly marked with signs and arrows telling you which way to go. Sometimes there's someone directing traffic in a detour to make sure you're on the right path. A detour often forces you to slow down. And I love the comparison between these two things because I think if it were up to us, we would take a lot of shortcuts because we're in a hurry. I have never done anything slow in my life. I drive fast. I run through the store fast. I do not like to slow down. I like to omit steps. I like to go around pain. I want to rush through the things that I don't like. And even if it's not if it's not painful, if it's something that I don't like, I don't want to do it for more than five minutes. Like I want to get it done. I want to get done as quickly as possible. But that's not how it works. God uses the detours to slow us down because we are unable to fully grow and mature and be refined when we are rushing. And one of my favorite things about the detour is that it's clearly marked and that sometimes there's someone standing in the traffic, directing traffic, because God might have not placed this detour in your life, but he's walking through it with you. He's leading you through the pain and the sorrow. So the detours in Joseph's life remind us that detours are a chance to slow down and our circumstances don't confine us. God's plans are not limited by our current capacities or our current circumstances. And unexpected detours are not a sign of failure. I think God could have just simply placed Joseph in this position of authority, but then he would have missed all of the refining that God did through his life. And we would not have this example of how to handle the hardships and overcome painful situations. So I think when we see a promise from God, we can expect to see the fulfillment of that promise through a lot of detours. Maybe one day you'd like to get married or have kids, and I promise you there's going to be some detours along the way. And we talked a lot about pain tonight, and one of the things I didn't talk about was that the Bible actually calls one of the detours a blessing. When Joseph was put in charge of Potiphar's house, we see that the Lord blessed Joseph and everything that he was in charge of and everything that he touched. So we talked a lot about detours in the form of painful experiences, but I want to just remind you that sometimes detours could be seasons of blessing and seasons of abundance and seasons of preparation. So don't miss the lesson that God has for you just because you're in a season that you don't like. We can expect the detour, and so we just have to fight against the desire to find a shortcut. And so maybe tonight you can identify that you're on a detour right now. Maybe you're making it back to a path from a detour, um, but maybe you're in a painful situation. And so my question for you is to look at how you are handling this season of your life. Are you bitter and resentful because this isn't how you expected your life to turn out? Do you feel like someone took something from you and do you feel like you want to seek revenge? Do you see this detour as a lost opportunity? Or are you able to acknowledge that the pain you might be experiencing is also a season that maybe God is asking you to slow down and allow some refinement to happen? Are you able to see that God might be maturing you and allowing you to grow and be sharpened while in the midst of your discomfort? Is there forgiveness that needs to be offered? Let's pray. Jesus, would you help us appreciate the detours even when they're painful? And would you help us see the lessons in every single season? Because if we're in a season of loss or bitterness, I just pray that you would loosen those chains and that you would help us find forgiveness and you would help us um, just point back to you in the midst of our suffering. 
And whatever, we're, whatever season we're in right now, Jesus, if that's a really good season or that's a really bad season, I just pray that you would help us not rush through it, but you would help us enjoy the moment we're in. And maybe enjoy is too nice of a word if we're in a season of pain. But Jesus, would you help us just stand firm in this moment and just seek you in everything and just um, praise you for the lessons that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the FC Young Adult Podcast. If you are in the Billings area, we would love to see you at our in-person gatherings on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. If you're unable to attend in person, there are always ways to engage online. Follow along through Instagram at faithchapel.ya or find our ministry page at faithchapel.cc. You are loved.